My name is Ingve Malmstein. Hi, my name is Christian. Jay Malmstein, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to learn how to play guitar solos. Well, you gotta see what's gonna happen. Oh. Okay. Okay. This is the fingering for A minor. If you do that very slow, it goes. And welcome to another edition of Guitar Tales. My name is Dave Cohen. I am getting help tonight because I need help tonight. So our publicist extraordinaire, Scott Guitarmacist Angle, will be co-hosting with me in a minute. We have a really fun show, and it's sort of born out of the fact that I apparently have this tendency of saying that's funny. Uh, so many times that Scott's made it a drinking game. Uh, so we have a legit guitar player, musician, TV star, comedian on the show. Don Jameson is our guest tonight, probably most famous among many, many, many things he's uh, done in his amazing career, uh, that metal show, uh, which is groundbreaking. I think it was on for about 15 years on VH1. Just, just an amazing show. He is a musician. He is open for amazing musicians in his lifetime, and he is a phenomenal comedian. So why don't we try to get both of you guys to slide in at once here? Woo! Ooh, with the magic of television. Ooh, we I came know. at the same time. You uh, did. You and, did. And right on cue, his dog's going to start barking. I know. I'm holding him by his why, leash. Why right does now. that dog cause me to do so much editing of the show? You have no idea <laughs> he does. how hard it is to isolate a bark and take it out of the show. I of actually course. gave him gummies the last show, and all that did was rile them up even more. Like, there's actually, it, it, it's um, legit, you know, marijuana for dogs that I got. And doesn't do anything to him. Next time, right. I used to do it to my friend's uh, dog in college. Just, uh, you know, blow bong hits on him for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> like He'll relax. The yeah. Fog. <laughs> yeah. It's craziness. So so we have Scott here. I know you and Scott are good friends. And, and Scott's depth of knowledge in the world of metal is far greater than mine. Mine's like, eh. But Scott's is that. I got my so. Kramer USA Neptune Kramer guitar. Yeah, but well, but Dave, you're, you, I mean, your whole background is music, man. You, you know, oh, you know. it is. And I did this for you. I got uh, a Rick Derringer album back here for you. Got yeah. guess who? I don't know who Main Horse is, but I found it in my album collection. I don't even know who Main Horse is. You I don't either. We got a little Aerosmith. <clears throat> I love the, the fact that you have, you know, you like that's like my place. Like I, you know, I have vinyl on the wall. I have guitars on the wall. You know, that to me, those are, you know, the, guitars are instruments to be played, but they're also beautiful artwork. In my hallway, I have a 1943 acoustic guitar. I was driving down south in Pennington. It had to be 500 yards away. I look and there's a garage sale and I saw an old acoustic guitar and I just almost skidded out, did a U-turn, drove up to the place. And I said, what do you want for it? He says, 25 bucks. And it's gorgeous. It's, you know, it's about yay wow. thick. It's got double F holes and all that. Totally unplayable, though, right? It's unplayable. So yeah. the guy I bought it from said, if you invest $500 in it, it'll be worth $500. Yeah. <laughs> so I bought it for $25 and it hangs on. It, it does look cool. I got, I, it's I, a cool you know, looking guitar. I hate yeah. when people say, I'm not going to lie, but I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's a very yeah. good guitar. 
And all Scott the whole time you were saying that he was counting the dog barks. Uh, oh my god, your poor Scott. He has to deal yeah, with it. I, I, I roll. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Use your mute button, and Don and I'll talk. And then right now I'm drinking a little Guinness in our noise network mug. Very and nice. Aaron, Scott's wife, always complains because I slurp into the microphone. That's yeah, part he's, of my he's, issue. He's a terrible yeah. VH1 classic would have thrown his ass out the front door. Of the it's true. Time. It's right. true. <laughs> you know, we artists, we're very we temperamental. Our minimal, in our minimal production value that we had, we would not have tolerated slurping. No, no, no. And I do slurp. Yeah. It's what even is- worse when I slurp out of a nice wine glass, which I'll do with my pinky out. <laughs> one of the one of the funniest uh, drinking on the set moments on that metal show was we had Marilyn Manson on and he shows up annihilated drunk at like uh, 11 right. in the morning we're taping at noon and uh, he's literally drinking from a bottle of his own absinthe because oh, no. he has his thing Nansenth and oh. he's drinking his own absinthe he's wasted and uh, we get down on the set and he puts the bottle, you know, he brings the bottle with him onto the set. And, you know, the segment producer comes out and says, hey, you know, we can't really have that in the in the camera shot. Um, can we get you a cup for that? And he goes, yeah, no problem. So the PA, PA comes over with a styrofoam coffee cup and puts it down on the table and he pours the absinthe in it and the whole thing disintegrated instantly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they say absinthe is, it has some weird qualities about it. It's a hallucinogen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what Marilyn Manson needs, more hallucinogens. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He's a walking hallucinogen. He is. Right, but Scott, you know, the thing is, like, I always tell people, you know, look, he's not a guy I would like to hang out with on a Friday night, but, you know, he's a rock star, you know, and I'd rather have the real Manson than shiny, happy Manson come on the show you know and that's you know that's that's how he is so yeah come on I mean it was it was you know it was like herding cats with him it was like babysitting a (laughs) five-year-old with ADD but at the end of the day you know you want the real guy coming out there so for better for worse that's what it was but you know they always used to say oh does David Lee Roth is he really drinking the Jack Daniels you know or is that iced tea or whatever and yeah, you know, the same thing with Manson. I was like, I wonder if that's real. <laughs> oh, that's funny. When that coffee cup disintegrated, I go, oh, no, that's... That's and that, funny. That, imagine your stomach. <laughs> oh, we have to drink. I said that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe this is a bad idea having me on the yeah. show with you. I'm just going <laughs> to... That's. But that's a great story, though. It is, it is. I, I, to... I was actually lucky enough to be at a taping of that metal show. I will sometime, Sometime I will never forget. And uh, Steve I was one of the guests and Tommy Lee was supposed to be the other guest. And I don't remember why he didn't show up, but it was sort of a really last minute thing. And they were really scrambling around. And all of a sudden they got Jamie Chasta to come on from Hatebreed. And I'm like, what's what what the hell is he going to talk? He's no listen. No offense. He's no Tommy, Tommy, Tommy Lee. But he was fantastic guest. Yeah. Jamie, you know, Jamie was a friend of me and Jim's from before that metal show days. So, right, right. And we really wanted to have Jamie on the show, but they were like, no, we got to keep it in that classic, you know, genre of metal, um, you know, which then, of course, after, you know, we did 14 seasons of it, we broadened out more and more as we did it because you can't just have the same 12 right. guests on. You can't have Ace right. Freely on every week. You can't have. Same, same with this show. 
So, so yeah. we bran- we branched out to from everywhere from you know uh, you know Johan from Amana Marth you know Viking death mm-hmm. metal to you know hard and sticks on the show and to me that was always the coolest thing about the show because we also used to pair people up that you would th- wouldn't think naturally pair it up like you know Vinnie Paul God rest his soul from Pantera with the guys from Sticks or Corey right. Taylor from Slipknot. Right with night ranger you know yeah, those were always the, the fun a shows. Bunch of guys, it, it, it always felt like you're just sitting in somebody's living room and it did look like our living room which is brilliant yeah <laughs> a bunch of guys really sitting is. sitting around and just bullshitting about classic rock and heavy metal and stuff and it, 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 it's so absorbing yeah, and, and it's funny who would I, I just saw there was a metal band on stern recently and miley cyrus sang with them was it um metallica i think I think she sang with Metallica and there was a complete sort of comfort level, you know, more than the persona would have otherwise suggested where different genres, they get along just fine, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think it's funny, you know, like everybody, you know, if you're looking to make, like a great living, like don't get into metal, man. Because it's not <laughs> unless you're Metallica or unless you're Iron Maiden, right. you know, who can still yeah. sell out arenas and stadiums <laughs> around the world. Um, you know, that's it's just not. It, it's tough. It's a tough. But look how long it took some of those bands to get traction and make money. Yeah, yeah. years. And but years it's so and years funny that people like Miley Cyrus or Lady Gaga, who are just multi, multi, multi millionaires, you know, beyond comprehension. They want to yeah. be metalheads and they want right. to be rockers because, I, you know, I know with all this talk where they say, oh, rock is dead and all this stuff, but it's not, you know, it's still, there's still that perception of coolness with, you yeah. know, hard rock and, and metal, you know, it, it's, you know, it's still there, you know, for a lot of people, you know, even though the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame doesn't really end up. Oh too many rock bands anymore but don't get uh, me started we could do an hour on that alone yeah yeah no offense to the other bands are in there and and i know eddie trunk is a huge proponent of this he gets upset every year he gets he gets his list and he starts losing his shit and i'm right there with him i mean it's just absurd that the people they bring into a rock and roll it's the rock and roll hall of fame have a rap hall of fame have a country hall of fame have a pop hall of fame this is the Rock and roll hold of fame. Why are you bringing all these other guys into it? Right. Can we can we just have our thing? Right. Why is you know everyone what I mean? the like what it, It's not even, you know, Eddie said it. He always says it best, and I agree with him, which is it's not, at this point, it's not so much who they're putting in because they have this agenda to do it. Yeah. But right. it's who's not going in because of that. That's the main problem. You know, when, when you know, Tone Loke is going to get in before Motorhead. We can't have that. <laughs> it's absurd, man. It really is. It makes me crazy every year. Yeah. And so, I try not so to that's why bother me because, decline. you know, I have no control over it. But, you know, a lot of the grassroots. Well, you did, Scott. <laughs> there's been a lot of grassroots things online to force them to bring some of these bands in there. And they did. I feel like they didn't really want to do it. And they sure just got forced into it based on public opinion or whatever. Yeah, you know, there's another option, I suppose. So, look at my dog's bothering me now. Um, so I'm a member of uh, what used to be called the American Trialers Association. I still am. We have a new name now. And there were some folks who weren't happy uh, with the work they were doing. Um, so people who didn't quit that organization 
um, uh, started an entity, an entity called the National Trial Lawyers Association, similar name. And I got, I got an invite as recently as today to join and maybe I'll join someday. Um, but, but, you know, I, I half wonder if, if there is enough motivation to try to change the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, perhaps there is a competing, you know, organization. People could sit on both. People could be in both. I mean, you think about it, you know, like the Academy Awards, we have the Golden Globes, Right. You know, so I wonder the Emmys, the or the right the Emmys. You know, yeah. so so oh, there you can see my guy. There he is. <laughs> He's having sex with my arm right now, uh, literally. But jealous. <laughs> but you know, I wonder if there could be you know a competing organization that that would satisfy that need. You know, that could have a similar name. You know, rock, the Rock and Roll Tribute Show or something like that. Well, they did. There is a heavy metal hall of fame that, that some people created, and um, you know. But then, but then, you know, I hear metalheads complain. Well, it's not a real thing, or whatever. But right, right. So there's some. You can't have it both ways. You yeah. know, it's, right. It's this is either our hall of fame or it's not. You it kind of reminds like, me of Miss America and Miss Universe. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like Miss America yeah. is the iconic thing. Yeah. And Miss Universe is like, all right. Yeah. How many yeah. pageants do we need? You know, talking about hot. Shit. That's true. Yeah. How many? How many Hall of Fames do we need talking about rock and roll? It should be the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. End of story. Period. That's it. Yeah. I I, t- I, t- I took a tour there one um, few years back before COVID, and and they were very nice and they were cool. And actually, up on the wall, they have um, that me- uh, that metal show up on the wall there. Nice. Oh, really? Yeah, because they're gonna do a. They're going to do a section um, for music TV shows. So they're going to start inducting music TV shows. I'm sure, you know, like Don Kirshner will be the first one. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, people like that. So maybe, you know, maybe we'll actually get in there. I I think think that metal show is important. I do. I I think historically it's an important show. It's every bit as important as any other music show that's on television. And you know what? When When it was on... There were no really other great music shows, at least that I was interested in. You know, maybe in the early days of MTV, you had like Night Flight and stuff like that. I had Bangers Ball, yeah. Or Headbangers Ball. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. Which uh, you know, I worked on Headbangers Ball when when I was a a young strapping man in my early twenties, and uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's cool. So uh, I was that he was once a young strapping man. I was once a young. <laughs> I'm an old. <laughs> Way less strapping now. Yeah, uh, I don't strap. I don't strap like I used to. Yeah, no, none of us do. Yeah, right. but, but gonna... back then, and I, so I've known Ricky Rackman since you know nineteen like eighty nine. Wow. Um, and um, and I, you know, Ricky and I have stayed in touch all these years. And you know, he he's like DJ. He goes, man, to this day of all the things I've done in my career, and cutting my hair, and getting having different looks, and doing NASCAR, and doing you know. Um, you know, uh, UFC and things like that, commentating and all that. He goes, the thing that people still come up to me the most about is Headbangers Ball. I go, yeah, because the fans of the music that we love are so dedicated and they're so loyal. And, you know, when Headbangers went off in 95, there was no other show that did what they did until we came on in 2000. Are you going to watch American Bandstand or Soul Train? Well, that's for their again. That's for their, that's, that kind of music. Those guys, we want. You like we to want dance? Our stuff. You watch Soul Train. If you like Dimash, you watch our shit. Right. But the point. The point was, I go, Ricky. There was 13 years where rock didn't have any presence on TV between you and then me. 
uh, you know, and Eddie and Jim, of course. So, you know, I, when that metal show went off the air, I said it just, you know, I hope it's not 13 years for whoever the next people are that'll carry the torch because, you know, the rock scene, again, they, you know, rock is dead, rock is dead. It's like, no, not, you know, not if we support it and we not. give it a, a home and, and a place for these people to come on and plug their stuff and let people know they're still out there, introduce new bands and all that stuff. Absolutely. I mean, Dave, you could, you could vouch for this. I mean, we've had young rock artists like uh, Mariah oh, yeah. Malik from Plush. Mm-hmm. Uh, the oh, younger kids are gravitating, they're, they're gravitating towards the uh, heavy metal and rock. Yeah. It, yeah. So we, we've had a lot of talks on the show about it. You know, look, Pete Townsend talked about it and what uh, 78, 79 rock is dead. Um, I think it's getting assimilated. I think it's, it's a smaller piece of the musical pie than it was when the three of us were growing up. But I, I think it's there. And, and there's a, a really, to me, surprising reverence by a lot of young musicians uh, for rock and roll that, that's been very encouraging for us. You know, Scott mentioned we have Mariah Formica, fantastic band, Plush. Um, they're, they're, and they're working hard and they're doing it the right way. They're, they're playing shows. They're getting out there. They record music. Then they support it by playing live. And it's been fantastic. We have this young woman, Sierra Levesque. I think she was 16 when we had her on the show, maybe 15. Yeah. yeah. And uh, all rock. She's pure rock. Her teacher's uh, uh, Bumblefoot. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. 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 Who and, I and, who I was blown away when I, I well we'll get we'll talk to, about that story when I saw Don's live uh, videotaping and Bumblefoot was there wailing away on his double neck guitar and one of the necks was fretless I was like I'm going home to burn my guitars I'll see you yeah. right there <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> yeah. he's he was terrific but it it is it, it, you know it, I think it's not dead but I think it's different now I think it's very different. Um, I think it's it's smaller and, and at the same time important. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's just crazy, you know, because I'm a, you know my I make a living as a stand up comic, but I got really you know dragged into this world uh, that I, that I was always in as a fan. So right. for for the worlds to collide in such a crazy way, it's mm-hmm. like still amazing to me because. You know, back when I was, you know, growing up, you know, here in Jersey and going to see my favorite bands like Judas Priest or Iron Maiden or whoever. And camping stand out for in the tickets. Audience. What's that? Camping out for tickets. Camping out for tickets. That's right. right. Thing, yeah. You know, there's no Ticketron. You sit on the, and you get Sleeping a sleeping outside bag. the record store. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then never, and we're never thinking like, how could I, you know, I would never think how would I ever meet these people? How could I ever get backstage or any of this stuff? And now, you know, these worlds that I love so much, you know, that I've loved since I was a kid have collided, you know, and it's just, it's the perfect world that I live in because I love comedy so much. I always have, you know, loved music and obviously rock music my whole life. My first two albums were George Carlin, Occupation Fool and Kiss Destroyer. Oh, look at that. That's great. I was actually going to ask who your favorite uh, comic icons are. Would George Carlin be one of your Oh uh, God! Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rushmore of comics. I used to listen to it on my Radio Shack tape recorder. Um, yeah. You know, with the one little earbud in. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I didn't. You know, my pa- I was twelve, so I couldn't have my parents. You know, I was listening to Seven Dirty Words and all right. that stuff. Right. I didn't want them to know I was listening to this, but I was. I was listening to Carlin. I was listening to Cheech and Chong, Richard Pryor. Yeah. Um, 
So, and then, you know, later Dice, who's my favorite comedian of all time, you know, I did 10 years on the road with him. So, you know, so for me, it's like, you know, I love being a part of this world, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still a fan of both. I'm still a fan of comedy. I'm still a fan of hard rock and heavy metal. And even though I'm friends with so many people in both genres, you know, I'm, I'm still in awe of people's talents. But you know, it's interesting. There's so like Jim Brewer comes to mind. And then I even thought of these days, look at Jack Black, you know, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's a phenomenal singer and musician. He's a great actor. He's funny as hell. Yeah. And, and, and I think those worlds connect pretty nicely when you think about it. I feel like I I have a lot of friends that are comics, including Don, and I have a lot of friends that are musicians. And when I get into a situation where I'm at a re- what I call to my what I say to my wife a regular party, where I don't have my people there, and I'm like, and people are talking about, well, you know, Dave is uh, <clears throat> starting medical school this year, and uh, you know, we had to find him a laptop, and I'm like, <clears throat> you know, let's talk about rock music. Let's talk about something cool. You know, uh, that's. Yeah. You know, because I know I never feel like I get together. It's it's flawless. We 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 laugh. We make each other laugh. We we commiserate about our stupid jets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I never feel like the adult in the room when I'm like talking. When I'm in a room full of people and they're talking like what Scott just said, I'm just like I feel like I'm 15 years old again. You know, like like like, let's debate which album's better, Kiss Destroyer or Rock and Roll Over. You know, I I don't I don't know from your kids and laptops and all this shit. And even if I did, I'm not that interested in it. Right, right. You know, I'm I'm interested in my worlds. Um, So, but yeah, it's all good, man. I just it's crazy that you know because I thought when I started making some money at stand up, I go, man, that'd be amazing if we could I could somehow like get my world of music into the mix somehow some way and you know jim and eddie and i meeting up and you know creating that metal show that was that was it man and and let's talk a little bit about that because selfishly scott and i are interested um but when when you're starting at sort of the real ground level uh you you guys don't have juice yet you have a little bit of juice because you've already achieved some success but what was it like in the beginning, you know, fi- convincing people who were who had notoriety in the world of music to come on your show, um, ha- you know, selling your show uh, back then you had to, you know, you couldn't do what we're doing here. You had to actually sell your show to someone to convince them to put on. How were those early days? Well, th- so the, the, the street cred that we had at the beginning was really, really because of Eddie Trunk. And, you know, right. at, at that point, um, you know, almost 30 years in radio. So he really had cultivated all these great relationships. Um, so that's what really got us kickstarted big time, you know, because we had like, you know, we had um, Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson wow. on, our, I think, our first season of the show. And wow. it, when we didn't even know what the hell we were doing um, and didn't know if it was ever going to last. So that really helped out in the beginning. Um, you know, Jim and I were starting to get involved in the scene. A lot of the bands were like passing around our terrorizing telemarketer CDs and our Meet the Creeps hidden camera DVDs. So, so we were starting to get to know people. Yeah, we were getting known in the scene <laughs> a little bit too, but not not enough to call you know somebody you know to call you know Getty Lee and go, hey, will you come do the show? But but the funny thing about this sh- getting the show on the air was. Like Eddie's whole background was in radio and and he was hosting for some VH1 classic stuff. Um, 
but they were looking for a long form show. Now at this point, you know, Jim and I had both probably done a dozen TV pilots that never got picked up. Okay. You know, but you make money. So that was cool. But after a while, you're like, that did, this didn't get Oh, so you were able to sell, not just create, but you sold pilots. Not, no, they no, didn't. just got hired to like, you know, ho- you know, I did like, I did a gardening show. I did a home <laughs> show. Yeah. I did a game show. Like I tried, I did every kind of pilot. Um, okay. And like I said, it kept me, it kept me going in those early days. Cause you can, you know, you can make a, an okay payday on hosting a pilot. But after a while, you're like, they're basically paying me to stay off television. Because they're not picking any of my shows up. So when when Jim and I finally went into this meeting with VH1, uh, with Eddie, we were just like, I don't, it's not going to happen. So who gives a shit? We walked in in camo shorts and, you know, Slayer shirts or what, you know, (laughs) T-shirts, you know, completely unprofessional. And we spent the whole meeting breaking Eddie's balls the whole time because he was trying to be so professional right, right. and right, present right, himself right. a certain way. And we were just, and we were giggling and laughing at him and making fun of him. And that's why they picked up the show. They go, well, listen, we don't really know your world of music like you guys do, but we love the interplay between the three of you. So we're going to exactly. shoot a pilot and see yeah. where it goes. So doing all the wrong things is what got us yeah. It's like the George Costanza day when he had opposite day, right? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely, yeah. A, de- definitely a chemistry between you guys. I mean, aside from the fact that you're all interested in the same kind of music, but yeah. Eddie's knowledge of, of music off the top of his head, of course, is legendary, um, you know, with the box of junk and all that and trying to stump the Trump. Yeah. Uh, and he's rarely stumped. And it's not a bit. Like, he really had yeah. no idea what the question was going to be. Because I was there at the taping, I thought, "Oh, this is bullshit." They tell him the answers ahead of time. No, he is—he's just blindsided with these questions, and he goes, "Let me think. Let me think." Oh, that was uh, 1976, and Ace Freely was using the, a pink guitar because you know, <laughs> or whatever. He just—it yeah. was unbelievable his knowledge of that. Niche and then the stuff he knew, but then just in the moment, he couldn't—he couldn't. He couldn't Right. Recall, Access it. You know? Yeah. Because even though it's a, a it's a taped entity with editing and stuff, you, when you're on the set and the lights are on you and the crowd right. is sitting there, wait, like there is still a certain amount of pressure. And sometimes mm-hmm. he would just space out on something. That was what drove him the most crazy. And so, but that's what everybody wanted when they watched the show. They wanted to see Eddie have a meltdown. Right. <laughs> and what people didn't see on TV was the hours and hours in our dressing room together where me and Florentine are just cutting the most horrid gassers of all time (laughs) and not let Eddie leave the room. So, and then just, you know, needling him and breaking his balls for hours so that when he got on the set, he was totally raw. So when he missed a question, like there was all that frustration came out and it it was great because it made you you guys fogged his brain. No wonder he couldn't come up with it. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of like pilots, was this a, was beat the creeps a pilot show or that's something you guys just put out on your own? Cause I think these videos are brilliant. Let me tell you. Thank you. Depending on the right people that come over, my people, not, not the guy that's talking about their son go to medical school. Um, We'll put those on and just like hang out and drink and watch it and just laugh and laugh and laugh. And I've seen it hundreds of times and it, they're, they're brilliant. And I really feel like you guys could have made a real show out of that, but maybe it was just too raw for TV. We, yeah, we, we did actually end up, end up doing a pilot 
after we did, I think, two, the two, two volumes of those DVDs. But no, the, the original premise was like, you know, Jim and I were like, you know, there's all these hidden camera shows, you know, and of course, you know, Candid Camera being the, the original, right, yep. back in the day. But we, Scare but we, tactics and all that stuff. Yeah, yep. and then, and then all, right, and punked and all that. But the thing that we, the, that he and I both hated about, they're all great shows, but the thing we, we didn't like about those shows or that we liked the least was the reveal at the end. Right. Like, oh, we got you. Ha, ha, ha. Hi, I'm <laughs> right, right. Blah, blah, blah. And we're like, no, no. We just, we want to, we want to F with people. Right. And then have the thing just fade to black. Right. <laughs> right. Which and is nobody brilliant. nobody had any idea. Like, how did it resolve? It doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. Good. You know, it, it's almost I like. I can't believe you didn't get yeah. arrested. Yeah. <laughs> almost. Well, it, it's like the innovation on Seinfeld. They were the, one of the first comedies where we didn't care about the characters. Well, they like were all. Every, they were just horrible human beings. Before Seinfeld, all the, the formula for sitcoms was we will be funny, but it has a heart, you know, right. and it has to resolve at the end of our 26 minutes of um, story time. Could you imagine Seinfeld, on a just, very special Meet the Creeps? Yeah. Don tells Jim that he doesn't like his gas. Yeah, or well, then you yeah. hug it out at the end. Yeah, well, I mean, we're taking yeah. upper deckers on camera and all that stuff. <laughs> I know. You know, there's a reason we haven't. Can you explain what an upper decker is to our audience in case they're completely naive? Well, and with this I'm a degenerate, the, so I know exactly what. An upper yeah, yeah. As well, do I. The, the 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 old school toilets are are going out of style these days. But for people, you know, who do still have those the standard toilet, there's you know there's a on the back of it with a lid. And um, so an upper decker is instead of going in the regular bowl, you go up in the top part. And Which so is... then when you flush, the, <laughs> the crap goes down into the bowl instead really of, you know, flushing out. And, um, you know, we used to do that to each other on the road just to mess with each other, you know, take an upper decker because, you know, for like the next 10 flushes, you know, <laughs> our crap was going to you know come out. And we did a segment with it, and I remember Jim's manager going, "You guys will never get a role in Hollywood if you put that on that DVD." <laughs> I go, We're not getting roles in Hollywood anyway. Put it on. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So it's just yeah, it's crazy stuff. And we did a we did a pilot for um, Comedy Central. They they, they had a um, they had a web they had a, a web series for a while, and we did a bunch of pranks on there. And then we shot a, a proper pilot, and they gave us a lot of money to do it. Um, but, um, at the end of the day, once it was all put together and stuff, the, uh, the woman who was supposed would give it the green light or not was like, ah, this is like humor for like 18 year old boys. I don't exactly. get it. It's like, well, you're not supposed to get it. You're a 37 yeah. well, year old woman. Look at, look at Johnny Knoxville. Yeah. Yeah. He did fine for himself, you know, and, and, and their humor is much of it is worse than that. Or yeah. better, or whatever you might want to call it, but you know, yeah. you know, it it's interesting. You, you, I guess, you had the wrong recipient for your pilot because absolutely, you know, when you think about, you know, what those guys got away with, just as bad. You know, I'm thinking about electrodes and things like that. You know, attached to the wrong place, and and I, uh, and I you love know. you made the the, the te terrorizing telemarketer CDs too. We'll chat about that a little bit. I love that too. It's, I mean hysterical and just <laughs> who loves telemarketers nobody 
Nobody loves that target. Yeah, they, they really are. That was again, that was just another thing. You know, the, the reason, you know, Jim and I have had such a great partnership is because we, we were comics who didn't want to wait around for yeah. the industry to come to us. We're like, no, we'll go do our own thing. Yeah, this volume seven. My, my God. I mean, <laughs> we have seven. <laughs> That's volumes, a lot of calls. <laughs> us messing with telemarketers. And, um, you know, this is the power of America that we can you know, be middle-aged men and, uh, and, you know, make a living doing prank calls. But that was just a thing where we would just, we would just mess with telemarketers to tell each other funny stories on the road. And then the light bulb kind of goes on and yeah, maybe we should record these. Maybe we can make an album. Cause we, you know, we love the jerky boy again, you know, the stuff we done there, there was, you know, there was precedent to it, but we just got put our own spin on things and right. telemarketers are the one target that everybody hates from eight to eighty, nobody likes telemarketers. They're obtrusive. They're crooks. They're you know they're the worst people on the earth. So we you know found a great target for them, and um, yeah. So there's seven of them out there, which is amazing. Now, how would I, you? Oh, go on, Scott. I would say I I used to for my own enjoyment if I was in the mood mess with telemarketers. Um, you know, like let them, go, let them go the whole spiel. Like oh, I want to sell your car warranty, blah 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 blah. And I'm like, oh wait. And then after a half an hour, and the guy thinks he's got me on the hook. Oh, what car was that again? Oh yeah, I sold that like ten years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Now how would no, you? Not, pro- but, yeah. but these these Jim and Don are brutal with these. With these I mean, they they just these telemarketers must go home and just like cry. Now, do they get the happy ending? Do you eventually have to call them back and kind of let them know that they were on tape or get a release or? That's all out the window. You just record. Oh no! It. Well, okay. I mean, you, you, you try your best, but the, but the, but by law, I mean, or, and Dave might be able to correct me. As far as I know, in Jersey, um, if it's incoming, it's fair game. So right. yeah, it's a one um, it's a one party state, as I understand. It. Sometimes you have to, but sometimes yeah. you got to wait a couple of weeks because <laughs> sometimes we, like we get these people so wound up that uh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're angry for a good week to ten days. So. We might be able to drop a video. Uh, I know you did a couple of cartoons. Who who did those cartoons for you guys? Um, so, some fans, you know, helped us and and put together some animation to some of our calls. Which was, yeah, they took the audio and made some animation to it, and it's just great. You know, Don's yeah. like a telephone guy on a pole and butting in. I want to give away the bit, but yeah, maybe. Now, we'll how would you get them? So, in other words, unless you're sitting by your phone all day waiting for a telemarketer, would you proactively be able to call them, or was this only you guys receiving the calls? Yeah, all incoming, man. So it is. That's it's like a band going to a studio. Jim and I just sit around, you know, at his house. He's got a he's got a phone line dedicated to it. Like he's got a, a you know, a hard line, you know, a home line that he doesn't ever use except right, right. when we make albums. And you know, there was such a long time between volume six and volume seven, and so he didn't he hadn't had the the phone plugged in to that outlet. And he said, the minute he plugged it in, we said we're going to record a new one. The phone started ringing off the hook. Oh, really? Marketers are ruthless. You know, they just keep calling, calling, calling. And some of the some of the same companies that have been on other albums are on the newest one. You know, it's just (laughs) different. That's great. It's just different people because the telemarketers never last because it's the crappiest job on earth. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, By the way, um, the big reveal right now is I'm a former telemarketer. Are you really? Yes. All right, we can't be friends anymore. This is no. you heard it here, folks. For the first when time. I was 14 years old, I was the youngest telemarketer in the country for Lawn Doctor. 
on Route 34 in Matawan. I know exactly where that is. Yeah. And um, in college, I uh, worked for a company that sold frozen meat in Freehold. Uh, so I, I am a twice telemarketer. Terrible. Yes. It's, it is. It's a truly horrible job. Maybe you're on one of our CDs. You never know. I would, Yeah. He probably is. I might be. You never know. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, I, you know, and Jim, Jim and I just have this great, the, th the thing with our partnership that, you know, that, that I love the most is like, there's no voice of reason. So <laughs> there's, oh, right. never, there's never an idea that's too crazy because, you know, one of us will go, ah, I know this scene. All right. Hear me out. I know this seems crazy, but what if we do this? And then the other one will go, let's do that. But then let's do this on top of it. So, right. you know, there's nobody sort of going, eh, maybe, you know, again, like what you were saying, Dave, like, let's yeah. have, you know, let's have a happy ending here. Let's, you know, make everything nicey nice. It's like, no, let's be ruthless and, and just make great comedy, you know, um, there's, there's a spot for it. Yeah. You guys went on a, a talk show, like a regular morning TV show, and, and caused absolute havoc. <laughs> I, I, this, when you're telling this story, it's, it's making me think, like, I'll tell you what we do. We go on the morning show, and we fuck with the host, blah, blah, blah. And you guys are like, all right, we're I'm all in. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, people, people could look it up. It's, um, you could put you know, Don Jameson, Jim Florentine, Kansas City News Station. Because we used to, you know, when we go play this club out in Kansas City, like um, you'd get in Thursday night and then Friday morning, you'd be up at six in the morning. The club owner pick you up. You're doing morning, three morning radio shows. You're doing, you know, oh, and then it, promoting then for your show. Yeah. yeah and it's great because it sells tickets. But by the time we got to the local TV station, it was just like, hey, let's let's just let's just f around you know with these people like all right what do you want to do so we just came up with this whole bit and again i i won't give it away but people should watch it because it's yeah, but it was basically like you know we'll talk about how you just got married which he had and then i'll confess in the middle of the interview that i had an affair with your wife away. <laughs> and the guy was we were supposed to be on for five minutes. The guy sped through our plug so fast. <laughs> and I'm saying, you know, I go, hey, by the way, your front door is sticking. You might want to oil the hinges. And, you know, don't worry. I used a condom. You know, like it, it got yeah. crazier and crazier as the show went. How was Jim's acting? Was he good? Oh, was he great. believable? Oh, Jim is very convincing. They do, another, they do another bit where I think uh, – Don is doing stand-up, and it's another hidden camera prank. It's on one of the DVDs. I think mm -hmm. it's maybe on the third one. Um, he, he smashes Don in the head with a with fake beer bottle, but it looks really convincing. And people in the audience are just completely stunned. <laughs> completely stunned. It looks so, real. So was Jim a heckler for that bit? Or was yeah, he just... he's kind of like you. You know, why don't you get off the no, stage? No, he said or... you stole my. No, no, that's another. Bit, or you but stole the, my joke or something. The bottle, the the bottle one is Jim's on stage, and I go, dude, that's my joke. He goes, no, it's not. I wrote that. Oh, that's and right. I go that's up right. there and I confront him, and then he has a beer bottle sitting on the stool, and he smashes me over the head. With I know you got stuff. smashed, but I thought you were on stage. He was. We did stage. that at Rascals in front of a huge crowd. It was oh. so fun because the, the reaction. The old Rascals in Ocean. Yeah. Wow. All right, now and, did you have a reveal for that one? Yeah, because then you know they saw you know they saw Jim yeah. they saw me get up and everything, but yeah, you know, right, so right, we, right. we had to repeat, but not on, but not in the the edited bit. Oh, that's great! If you watch the thing; it just it fades to black. Yeah, they don't. Like, I like that. that. Nobody off the hook. Yeah, like don't, like let people try to imagine what happened afterwards. 
they, I we like don't have that. To come out and go, hey, wasn't that a funny joke? Ha ha ha. So you know what it is? You're not apologizing for the humor. Because when you think about it, when you have a comedy bit, then they have this sort of awkward resolution where everything's okay. It's almost like you're apologizing for being funny. You know? Yeah. And almost, yeah. I Listen, like I said, I, I love Impractical Jokers. Uh, you know, Paul, yeah. I thought was really funny. Like a lot of these shows, they're great. And Candid Camera, of course, when I was a kid, you know, for people yeah. who Remember can the camera, but to, you know that was that was such a great show. But Jim and I just you know we have, like I said, there's no voice of reason. You know we both yeah. have a dark edge to us, and you know I think I think it's been it's been great, especially now coming into the modern age with comedy where you know people are are apologizing for jokes and stuff like that, and we never did and we never will. So our, you know we have our crowds, thank God, who know what to expect when they come to see us. You know, if, if you're triggered by by shit, you know, stay home. You don't have to come out, you know. Um, so I'm glad we never apologized our whole career and, and we're not about to start now. Exactly. I like that. What Do you have a nightmare gig that comes to mind? I mean, we all have. I mean, I've, I've got my nightmare gig. I know you must have tons of stories. Um, just just the sheer fact that you that you've op- opened up at festivals and stuff with like a gazillion people out there who want to hear heavy metal or want to hear Ozzy or whoever you're opening up for. And then you come out there and tell dick jokes. <laughs> I mean, there's gotta be some resistance, right? Um, yeah. I mean, um, I've done Sturgis a couple times at, during bike week Oof. Okay. Where, where they had no idea a comedian was going to be on the bill. And, um, that was, so w- first time I did Sturgis, um, so, you know, what happens out there is when when a band is playing, if the bikers like them, they wait till the end of the song and they rev up their engines. That right. means they like you. If okay. they don't like you, they start revving up while you're playing. Ooh. <laughs> oh. So so we were playing this place called Kickstands. It was me, it was a foreigner tribute band, me and the band Faster Pussycat, who I was out on tour with. Um, for a couple months that summer. And for whatever reason, and the Foreigner Tribute Band was awesome, by the way. Um, But at some point, I think, I guess they just got tired of them and they started Uh, revving up. And I go, oh my God, they're revving up on the Foreigner Tribute Band and these guys are great. They're going to hate my guts. Like, this is terrible. And I got, you know, and then the bass player from Faster Pussycat would go up and introduce me every night, but he was like bombed. So he was like, he was babbling and they start revving up on him on my introduction the revving up no (laughs) i am so fucked here right now yeah i gotta do a half hour so that's not a short set no and now and now i get up there and i'm like now it's it's fight or flight right now i I gotta make some big decisions here how do i get how do i work this out so i get up there and i see this this guy this biker he's got a shirt off his arms are folded, you know, like no mm. way is this guy going to make me laugh. Right, and he looked right. exactly like Stone Cold Steve Austin. 
Okay. So I just went up there. I go, give it up for, you know, whoever the foreign tribute band is. And listen, Stone Cold, I don't care if you're going to keep your arms crossed the whole time while I'm up here. You better laugh, mother effer. I'll come <laughs> down there and I'll put you in the Stone Cold Stunner and I'll embarrass you. And, and all his buddies are like lined up and they have all their bikes behind oh, them. Oh, boy. Right. And I just started because I'm like, I got to I got to do something. Right. I was desperate. And he looked exactly like Stone Cold. It was great. Wow. Right, and, right. and after a couple of minutes, his his friends start breaking. Uh-huh. Right, right, and right. Then he look, and he looks over and sees him, and then he broke, and then it was on. And then the, oh, that was, and then the next 25 minutes were a piece of cake. But it was just one of those moments where, like, what do I do here? You know, like, that right. could have turned into – a moment of not a very good moment, but I, get, uh, I, I had yeah. a sort of a similar situation with a biker dude who's really, really super scary looking. And I think I might have told the story on the show already, but um, we just finished covering Crazy Train. Maybe the first time we ever played it out. And uh, I feel like I did an OK job, you know, like get off the bandstand. This guy comes over. Same thing, like, you know daring me to i'm like was i staring at your girlfriend or something that's another problem some, we sometimes have we're just playing looking out in the audience and hey man you were staring at my girl no i'm staring at everybody not your girlfriend i don't even right. know. have you seen how hot my wife is <laughs> so he goes i just want to tell you something and i'm like what he goes you made randy proud oh, oh good. Yeah. So you're not gonna kill me great <laughs> thanks man let's go get yeah. a beer that's good yeah, stuff. It's, it, you know, the, the thing about comedy and music, I think, too, in a lot of respects is, you know, there's still bad days, you know, and those are the days that really that keep you kind of humble, you know, when, when you yeah. when you start really start feeling good about yourself. There's always an audience waiting around the corner to take you down a few pegs. So, yeah, it's true. You got to stay hungry, you know. Now, now how do you I, I have one experience only literally I was starting to tell Scott before we went on. I'm a, probably a teenager, young adult. I went to the Garden State Arts Center to see um, George Benson, of all people. And George Wallace opened for him. Great comedian. Great comedian. Yeah. And, and the energy that the audience had brought to watch music and listen to music is so different than the energy to listen to a comedian. How do you get your audience to make that pivot for you? Because yeah. it's such a different kind of energy. And I think that's what makes your job so hard. When we're we're not there to think about anything. We're there to just, you know, to soak in the vibe um, and to either dance or shout with the music or whatever it is. But but comedy is is asking us to think and then asking for our response. So it's a very – and we have to listen. We have to be quiet enough to hear you, you know. So how do you do that? Because yeah. that, that's impressive. Well, now you now you got me nervous. I uh, <laughs> I think not thinking about it is is how I that's, do it. That might be the way to go, right? I just I just say yes to the gig, and then I figure out how to do it afterwards. But I, you know, you're you're right on all those things. But two, I think you know, audiences are are definitely more open minded these days. They like right. them. Yeah. they're definitely more open to some variety. And and I, you know, I have a, a decent recognition factor in the rock world. So, yeah, it's not yeah. so weird that I'm up there. That makes sense. Right, right. And, you know, for me, I look at it like I'm an opening band and you can, yeah. you can hang your... in here and watch or you could go out to the bar or go outside and smoke or what do you right. know, like if you, you have you rock and roll sensibility about you. 
Right. And right. And, and, you know, and then when I do the opening for bands, it's all music related. It's right. all about gotcha. bands. Okay. And that makes sense. And all that. Right. So, so if you stay, I'm going to keep it all in that family. Gotcha. So it's not weird where I'm going to go. Oh yeah. So my wife, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So like, parents. in other words, like you wouldn't want Milton Berle opening for Pantera. No, right. No. <laughs> well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to open for them either. That's too, you know, that's too extreme. Those crowds. Yeah. But you know, I try yeah. to find the right pairings too. That's important. Yeah, that makes I sense. I always say, please put it on the poster. You know, the flyer for the show. Oh, like, oh right. So they know what to expect. Featuring the rock and roll comedy of Don Jameson, or however you there want. There you phrase go. It. So I try to make it as foolproof as I can. Um, right. But you know, for me, you know, I, when I do regular nightclubs. You know, I'll do some rock material, but, you know, not everybody's into it. So, you know, I, c I can kind of feel it out. Sometimes I do more, sometimes I do less. But right. I can, you know, I could work in front of eight, an 80-year-old crowd. I could work in front of a, you know, a 20-year-old crowd. I could work in front of a rock crowd or not. But, in, you know, in front of those crowds, I look at it like the early days of, you know, just playing like in, like doing bar gigs where, like, you had to get up there and, like, really be aggressive and get try to get that first laugh out of these people who are, who've been uh, drinking all day they don't even yeah. know there's a comedy show because you know you don't go i'm going to be a comedian and now you're headlining rascals two weeks later you got to pay your dues and right. i look at the rock shows like that i come out stage and i'm aggressive man i'm right away right in their face boom let's go boom 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 and by the time they realize what happened it's over and they're seeing their headlining band right and they've had a great time that's, yeah, a, that's another generally. good. That's yeah. another good parallel that musicians and comics have. I I prefer the smaller rooms over the big rooms. Um, yeah, I feel it's it's more intimate. You could you could see the people in front of you. You can kind of inter interact with them and stuff. And when you're doing, you know, comedy, you could visually see people reacting directly to your stuff. Problem is with a smaller group, you get. You get your hecklers and people that want to come on stage and grab a tambourine and all that kind of stuff. And in a larger venue, you, you have a little more of a buffer. Yeah. yeah well, there was a, there was a, um, in 20, what's it? Winter 2019, Jim Brewer, who you mentioned before was out opening for Metallica. I was out opening for a band called pop evil and Larry, the cable guy was out opening for sticks. And I'm like, this is <laughs> That's a weird pairing. Like, Larry the Cable Guy and Sticks, that's a party. I, I want to see that, man. <laughs> but I was just so happy. Like, here's three rock and roll yeah. comics out there opening for bands yeah. at the same time. And it was really neat, man. I, You know, there's not many of us who, who, are, who can do it or are crazy enough to do it. Um, but I, I love the combination of the two, man. It, you know, if you can make it work, it's fun. It's, be, it's become, a, you know, become a big part of my career now. Yeah, you, you know... It's impressive, and I think you're pro probably part of a small and rarefied group that can do it. Like, I like who doesn't like Stephen Wright as an example? He doesn't fit that. No, you know, you know his energy. Andrew, Andrew Dice, of course, would because he people yes. scream for him, and he has that energy. You do, Jim Brewer does, uh, but you know, then you get the sort of the quieter comics, uh, the Gary Goldman. You know, he's not going to fit that. You know, no. uh, he, he wouldn't be. He's great, but he's not the right fit for that. Yeah, correct. I, and, and listen, all these guys could do it if they wanted to. But comics would sit, tell me all the time. They go, you're nuts. I don't know how you yeah, do that. I'm but, not a comic. And I think you're nuts for doing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're, and you're, well, 
right. You're 100% Except, right. Imagine. There's no reason I should be doing that, but I do, no. and, I, and I really yeah. love it. That's Before great. you came on, when, when Scott and I were talking privately, he didn't say for doing that. He was just saying you're nuts, oh, okay. like privately to me. I think know. all my comedian friends are a little bit crazy. And I, and I, I think it was Gilbert Gottfried, the late Gilbert Gottfried, uh, who said, uh, you know, comics are kind of like a clam. They have a little irritation in them to make that pearl. And if they don't have that oh, irritation, like that. there's no magic, you know. Yeah. That's, well, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, most of my closest friends, you know, I, like I don't trust anybody who who doesn't have a little rage in them, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but we, you know, you have to you figure out like how to contain it and and turn it into your, you know, what you do on stage, which is right. super important. Right. Yeah. So I know that last night you were at McSorley's and you were sufficiently tempered in your conduct that you could be here with us tonight. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. I, I've I've had some drinks there myself back in the past, but. What was going on there? Yeah, man, it, it's crazy. You know, I've been going to McSorley's, you know, with a buddy of mine um, for probably 30 years now. Um, it's McSorley's for people who've never been there in New York City. It's the second oldest pub in New York. Um, you know, Abe Lincoln drank in there. That, it's literally been around that long. So that's yeah. perfect for my job. Well, that's it. I'm going if Abe Lincoln drank there. I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> I was supposed to be there last night. I had to work, damn it. They have the chair. They still have the cherry set in there. Really? And it's all New York history on the walls. It's such a visually captivating place. Um, And we were sitting in there one day on a Sunday afternoon, day drinking, me and my my friends. And I was wanting, thinking about, you know, it's time to make another album. And and I said, we're sitting there. I go, I should just do it here. Great. We know everybody here. Everybody here knows us. We've been coming here forever. And Within an hour, I had the whole thing set up. I came up with the name. I came up with the theme. I got the owner to give me permission to do it there for free. Um, Because the whole theme is around Motorhead, because all my albums are parodies of rock albums. And so I've been wanting to do a Motorhead one. So I was like, no sleep till McSorley's, which is what it's going to be called. And Motorhead had no sleep till Hammersmith. And... um, and I do my 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 albums with Metal Blade Records, mm-hmm. you know. But my contract had ran out on my last one, so like I literally emailed them from McSorley's and said, I, "I'm assuming <laughs> you want to put out my next album. Uh, I I'm locking it down right now to do it here at McSorley's and blah blah blah." And they wrote back, "Absolutely, we want to do another record with you." That's great. Then I texted Phil Campbell, who's the guitar player in Motorhead. And asked him to play the guitar intro, and he oh, recorded wow. one for me. I, I emailed um, Motorhead's manager, Todd Singerman, who's a good friend of mine, and I said, "Could I use the artwork from No Sleep Till Hammersmith and put myself in it? And can I use the Motorhead font?" And he goes, "Whatever you want, Don. You can oh, take it amazing. and use wow. it." And so all these worlds just perfectly collided, and all in an hour while day drinking. See that? And yeah. That was Let me probably tell you back kids. in like. April. That's Don Jameson's world. Don't drink and try to put together <laughs> <Don't> a comedy <laughs> record. <laughs> and last night was the culmination of it. You know, I was going to do it back in June, but we ended up putting it off, which I'm glad we did. And did it last night, and it was it was packed, and everybody there had. I, I hope. I mean, I think everyone had a really great time. I know I did. It's going to be an awesome special, and um, it was exactly what I wanted it to be. You know, it was it was just perfect, man. It was you know. It's the whole vibe of, yeah, we're in, a, in an old Irish pub 
drinking kind of vibe to it, man. And I'm just so excited now. I'm not excited to have to now screen them, screen all the footage and yeah. listen to myself yeah. jokes because that's horrifying. But I'll put up a QR code of your of your last um, DVD, uh, Hellbent for Laughter, which I was that was a couple albums ago. But yeah, oh, was I did, it? Oh, I got I it did wrong. that one in Uncle Vinny's in Point Pleasant, which is my home right, club. Right, right. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And then um, you want to talk a little bit about the the book you did too, um, which 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 has a place in my house here. We, oh, we cool. look at it all the time. It's, well, I, it's, I saw it's that, near the uh, throne. It's called it's You Might right, Be I'll a Metalhead. <laughs> well, you can read the whole book while taking a dump. I mean, literally. That's, that's what I loved about it. It's um, Well, I saw, Je I saw Jeff Foxworthy. You know, obviously he started the You Might Be a Redneck thing. Right, right. Yeah. And his, his book was 70, like 72 pages long. So this I'm like, great. lots mine's of cartoons, eight, lots 82. of pictures. Yeah, you beat him. You know. So the fellow that did it with you, Joe uh, Bartnick. Yeah. Uh, what was his contribution? Did he do the artwork or the or the jokes or? No, Joe, Joe um, and Joe came. I was really happy. Joe came by um, McSorley's last night. Oh, cool. Uh, for the late show. Joe's an old comic friend of mine. He's a huge, you know, rocker metalhead from back in the day. He's originally from Pittsburgh, but he lives in Los Angeles now. He's got a special out right now that's beyond phenomenal but yeah joe so joe and i wrote these jokes in the vein of you might be a redneck if but instead you might be a metalhead if i and like that yeah it's fun it's just a fun joke book mike morse a comedian from jersey um did the illustrations for it so oh, yeah mike you know. did the illustrate okay i thought maybe joe is the illustrator and you did all the... Uh, no, Joe and I wrote all the jokes together. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And, um, yeah. It's funny. So, it's funny as hell. It's great. And and you know what? I, I After reading it uh, on the throne the other day, I am a metalhead for sure. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so you definitely are a metalhead. I'm even wearing my Motley Crue t-shirt, for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> I got my go-to-bed-with-motorhead shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what you were wearing. Um, we're going to put up uh, your 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 qr code for your for donjameson.com which has all the tour dates and information and stuff that's coming up and also of course uh we love that rocks which you can only find on youtube correct at this point just youtube yeah yep jim and eddie and i getting into the modern age the the uh, the people who brought you that metal show um, right you know so grateful for people to this day who still say hey could it ever come back could it ever come back and like, well, we're doing this new thing because everyone said, well, do it on YouTube, do it on YouTube. But there's a there's a trick, as you guys know, to, you know, monetizing, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, sh shows on the Internet or social media or whatever. I got and, a check you know, for $9 the other day, nine bucks. We're, just, <laughs> <laughs> we're three old bastards. So yeah. we, we ended up meeting these young guys who were fans of that metal show who said, hey, listen, we produce social media that's what we do and we know how to monetize it for you guys and get it up and running and do your social media and all that stuff and so we've been doing it on there and i think we're doing episode 20 this week and it's been great you know we've had Corey taylor on and we've had you know sammy hagar and michael mm -hmm. anthony and david coverdale and real high-end guests and yeah. my boy brad gillis he's my favorite i love he's brad the, gillis oh my god there's nobody more fun than Brad Gillis, <laughs> I mean, I've had you remember he, he brought up a great point. Him. He was talking about like I I, I kind of made the whammy bar tricks my thing, 
and and back when I was listening to him, everybody's listening to Eddie and and Randy Rhodes and stuff. And I'm like, I like this guy Brad Gillis. I like the idea that he can mess around with that that wiggle stick and get some really cool sounds. And I sort of made that my little adventure when I first started playing guitar to say, hey, look what I can do, and you can't, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and Brad, Brad really gave a, a really cool. Um, yeah, I got a little guitar geeky for, for some people, but but he really because you know he he cites all his influences and in how he got to be yeah. using the the whammy bar, but he made it his own thing, which was cool, right. you know. So, um, but Brad's a great guy. Um, you know, he pulled me on stage at PNC during the uh, party gras, the Brett Michaels party gras. Right, right. Oh, play great. Sweet Home Alabama at the end. He's like, go out there and play. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know this song. He goes, ah, I just go out and fucking jam. So, Well, that's good. Yeah. David, we hit an hour already. We uh, did. Look at that. wrap this up, but I think we're going to have to let Don go, and uh, I'll have to go edit out the barking. And we don't have too much barking. You can yeah. keep the humping in it, though. The humping talk, has to stay. You didn't mention our sponsor, so we should do No, that. I know. I screwed and, that up. So, And also uh, a, a few, couple of uh, a little PA, PSA about a couple of future shows we have, including the yeah. Eddie Van Halen tribute show that we're working on with yeah, Phil, so, Phil X. Yeah, so oh, cool. yeah, yeah. I love yeah, it. Oh, it's be, yeah, Phil's in oh. town. I, I, I missed him the other night. He was like, come on out. He's in town. Yeah. Because Bon Jovi's rehearsing. But um, yeah, Phil's awesome, man. He is great. So we're lining up. We're doing a Van Halen panel show, and Phil's agreed to do it with us. So it'll just, just be a full hour. I don't know about the master, and I'll probably talk about Brad Gillis, and everybody will be pissed off at me. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't know if we'll be able to limit it to an hour. I mean, it's Eddie. It's fucking yeah. Eddie. You know, hey, we, we did we'll two hours with Janeron and legal stuff. We can do I know. that Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, we cut it down to two hours, that show. I think we went two and a half on yeah. that one. You were getting tired. Yeah, I was getting really tired. And uh, I, I did forget at the beginning of the show, and right here on my computer, Scott sent me a chat reminder, and I forgot. Uh, we have a wonderful sponsor to the show. Uh, season one guest, Charles Larita, owns Mischief Studios over in Pennington, New Jersey. He's a great guitar player. I don't talk enough about that. Charles is a phenomenal guitar player and a great songwriter, but that's what led him to open his music shop there, and he'll do repairs for you. He'll sell you instruments. He's got studio space, and he's just a great guy. So if you have ever any needs in Central Jersey, uh, go over to Pennington. It's smack dab in the middle of Philly in New York, and he runs a really great shop over there. So uh, we've got great things. We've got a great sponsor and more great shows coming up. And we're also uh, streaming all our past shows every Thursday night. Yep, uh, they all start at 7. Until we get caught up, and then we'll be doing whatever current show we're doing, we'll stream. Yeah, and, and we'll do, and you and I'll do a couple of live shows too. Yeah, um, we've got our intermezzos, which uh, are getting a lot of traction. Yeah, so that's been working out great. Don, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on. Uh, I know you're super busy, and and you were super. Thank God, not hungover from the McSorley's gig. Yeah, I'm really looking forward yeah. to the record and the DVD, and uh, wish you a hell of a lot of luck. And let's go Jets. That's right. Go Giants. Oh, sorry, Jets. We looked like dog shit yesterday, but listen, <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, it is what it is. You know, I don't live and die by it anymore, Scott. You know, I, you know, I did forever and I just can't do it no. anymore. I don't have that kind of energy, but yeah. I, I got sucked in as a young child uh, watching the Brady Bunch and seeing Joe Namath do Noxema commercials, you know, and I thought that's going to be my team. That guy's so cool. Look at the fur coat. <laughs> Look at the chicks he's getting. Yeah. Even, even when I, even when I was 12 years old, I'm like, 
That's that's my team. And then he you, disappointed you me he from 1969. That's it. Till now. Yeah. Every yeah. single year. Well, maybe some year it'll happen. <laughs> yeah. I, I met Joe Namath once, and I guess when people go, you ever get starstruck meeting, the, meeting these musicians? And everybody go, the only person I was ever really starstruck, were, there were actually two, and both um, in sports, was Joe Namath. And, right. But he was so friendly, like he immediately put me at ease. And then Tom Seaver. Wow. Being that, remind, that reminds me, you used to do, a, or still, maybe you still do on, on SNY. Do you still do any work with them? Um, yeah, I've done a bunch of shows with them. And I hosted a series called Beer Money for a couple of years. And that's how I met Tom Seaver, because they would give me the the SNY suite for a couple of games. Ah, I see. And oh, Tom yeah. came in one day with a case of his wine. Because he has a... <laughs> You know, he Tom has his own wine, so he came in, and um, I was with Eddie Trunk, who's a big Mets fan, also, and and he goes, "Oh my God, oh my God!" And for Eddie to freak out on anybody was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I go, "What?" Yeah. He goes, "Tom Seaver just walked in." I go, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah, he's right behind." And I turn around, and he's standing right there. Now, and if Laurentine said that to you, you wouldn't turn around. You know, he was full of shit. Right, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but, if, but if Trunk got excited, you know it's real. If you ask Jim Florentine where the bathroom is, wherever he points, go the opposite way. That's great. That's great. But Tom, you know, was, I was, Tom was so nice. And it was, you know, it's great when you meet these people who are your idols and they're really cool. Yeah, right. I was uh, I was having my romantic dinner for my 10-year anniversary with my wife at Brando's in Asbury Park. And they have the TVs in there and, and we're enjoying a nice romantic dinner and staring each other's eyes and i look up and who do i see on television don jameson <laughs> cock blocker boy you ruined the whole thing i started staring at him instead of my wife i don't know what happened anyway That's again funny. don thanks again for coming yeah. on we what a great it. show yeah. um, and Thank we'll you uh, we'll see you guys uh, soon and make sure you check out that rocks that's right youtube yeah that's right a lot of fun a lot of fun. Thank you guys. I really thank you much. It. We'll have Phil X take us out since he's a metal guy. And That's we'll see right. you next time. Guitar Tales. All right. Take care. Hey, man. It's Phil X. And you're watching Guitar Tales with Dave Cohen and Guitar Tales. Guitar Tales. Like, what else do you need, right? Guitar. We're geeks, nerds, gear, inspirations, positive vibes. Look out.